Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Hello, friends. Welcome back. Got a good show. Emily Parks, pediatric adolescent young adult advocate warrior born with a congenital pseudo obstruction of her bowels. Uh, been living on a uh, IV, nutritional IV and an ostomy bag for 20 years. She's 27 now, had a surgery, went through an intestinal transplant. I'm blown away by the story. Had an ostomy reversal and is now living and thriving an amazing life as a vocational specialist for the disabled community, all the while creating her own network and support community for young adults living with rare and chronic illnesses, especially those who identify as living with medical PTSD. It's safe to say that advocates aren't always born, they're made, and we're born of our conditions, and she is just that. And so I'm thrilled to bring you this amazing conversation with Emily Parks. Enjoy. Emily Parks, welcome. You chased me down. You found me. You're here. Hi, I did. Chased you all through New York into another state entirely. I mean, I've heard your name. I've known all of you. People are like, have you talked to this person yet? Like, I'm, and, and I had like 11 seconds to, to see you. So this is really our first official <laughs> orientation. But I, I've done my homework. You are such an extraordinary human being. And I'm just delighted to share you and your story with my listeners. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So I like to look at people's bylines and, and, and kind of deconstruct them a bit because, you know, there are so many recurring themes in this country on the show. The PTSD, the medical PTSD that human beings face because the system is just a, a, like a endless fuckery. Is that the like the, the hill you're dying on here? Because like it's there, there can't be enough spoken about it. Yes, exactly. Uh, the healthcare system is broken. Um, it's uh, exacerbating people who are already stressed out from their illness. And then let alone the healthcare system is huge and communication is a constant problem with big institutions. Yeah, I always say people are born of their condition. You've been living with all sorts of fabulous cysts in your short 27 years on earth. Yeah, so I was born with myopathic intestinal pseudoobstruction. So I couldn't eat or drink anything I couldn't absorb anything that I ate or drank um, because essentially the muscles of my intestine were very, very weak uh, and couldn't absorb anything. And then because of that, I was on PN, which is an excellent uh, medication to be on uh, in that it, people who are usually on it are on it for a very, very long time and they don't do well the longer that they're on it. And I had hit that bracket. So I was having uh, like a lot of 
IV line infections. Um, I was in and out of the hospital a lot. And then on top of it, I've developed my own medical PTSD and live with anxiety and depression as well. Yeah. So not a normal childhood, one would say. No, not typical. Maybe a little different. Well, let's talk about that because, you know, I've worked in pediatric oncology for many, many years. I am, in fact, a pediatric cancer survivor. I was a little mm-hmm. older than the average person that got diagnosed at that age. But surely enough, like for your parents, for your family, your caregivers, talk about that growing up. Obviously, you're looking at the world through a very different lens than other children. Yeah, so I I thought overall my family did a great job in trying to keep us integrated with each other while I was having frequent hospitalizations and being in and out. But it was definitely hard on the family. It was definitely hard on me when you're kind of in and out of the hospital. People are like, oh, again. And over time, you may get less visitors. And so there was kind of I felt a, a divide in that I am different than my brothers. And, you know, it's just stressful in the entire family. It, it's um, I remember um, my little brother being very concerned about how my life expectancy was going to be after my transplant and the tra- and I got an intestinal transplant in 2020 and that was a huge stressor on my entire family. I mean, the fights alone when you're on like that much steroids and like painkillers, some of the fights that me and my parents got into, it took a while for us to get over even after I had recovered from the transplant. It took longer to recover from that. Yeah, I mean, parents raising children with conditions such as these, you know, there is no calm before the storm. It's just the storm all the time, right? Yeah, it's just what is this? What is this fresh hell today? <laughs> That's the name of the show. What is this fresh hell with Emily Parks? I like that. You named the episode. Well done. So let me ask you. So growing up, adolescents, you know, preteen, teen, you're looking at your your fellow cohorts who are probably not dealing with the same crap you're dealing with every day. Did you feel a sense of isolation and that no one really understood what you were going through? Yeah, I went to a very small private middle school. And so a lot of when I was really, really sick during my school years, it heavily impacted my kindergarten years and my first grade first grade and second grade. And that was when I was in public school and it was easier to deal with because I was so young. Um, but as a teenager, it's much harder because teenagers are mean and they suck. But there was that sense of social isolation, social isolation. And thinking back, it must have been hard on my peers because they didn't have the information or understand why I would be gone for a week and then come back for a week and then be gone for a week. And um, so it was hard to make friends in middle school. And I think a lot of that That's a time of growth. That's a time of social growth. And that's something that I've missed out on as well, because, you know, when you're when you're struggling just to stay alive, all the kind of like how to socialize, how to how to regulate your emotions, those things like kind of fall by the wayside because it doesn't matter if you're dead. Yeah, you're supposed to be taking 10 steps forward every day and you're not. Yeah. And then you watch your friends go off to school and go off and get in relationships or learn these things. And you you can't because you're in this situation. Yes. A person is nice. People are stupid and humanity is terrible. So, yeah, we have to take the punches from people that are never going to understand what it's like to be us. And you just become that whipping post, which is 
which is horribly unacceptable, were you able to find any semblance of peer support or cohort support from anyone your age in your teens or your, your adolescence? Yeah, yeah. I had a, my best friend had diabetes. Oh, so it took dual shittery <laughs> to yeah. find something in common. <laughs> we became friends in summer school because she always, I guess before and after lunch, would have to check her blood sugar and I guess the teacher was, you know, because it was the buddy system. You had to, so she was like, you got to pick a buddy. And then, of course, she doesn't know who to pick. So I, I, my name came up because I'm the other sick kid. <laughs> so it's like, let's group the sick kids together. So that's how we became friends because she would always pick me to go <laughs> to the nurse's office with her. And then I also didn't, that was probably reassuring to her because I didn't care. I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> and then one day you became someone that wasn't a minor. What was that day like? I think it was tax season. It was <laughs> one of the tax seasons. I was like, this is. Oh my God, I'm 19. What do I do? <laughs> this is real. I have to do this every year. I have to do a lot of things every year. I mean, you don't understand. Yesterday I weighed my cats. I monitor my cat's health. <laughs> that's adulthood. Yeah, that's that's a good example of adulting for sure. <laughs> so I guess that moment for me was, yeah, maybe it was, I think maybe sophomore year. I was like, oh man, this is really kind of ironing out. Like after college, I can do whatever I want. And I don't know. So I think it was, I think it was one of the tax seasons because I did some work in uh, college. So your aha moment came at the most adult time of year. Yeah. Tax season. <laughs> so let's go back to your condition. It was congenital, right? It was a gene mutation at birth? Yeah, gene mutation at birth. Is it known? Is it like common or is it exceptionally rare? It's exceptionally rare. So how many of you are there? No idea. Really? The way that I've found my... My patient community is more of when I was on TPN. What is TPN? TPN is total parenteral nutrition. It's like this IV solution. It's IV nutrition uh, because I couldn't, like the nature of my illness is I can't absorb anything I eat or drink. So I, I would do IV nutrition every night. And a lot of people... You can be on IV nutrition for like a lot of different reasons, but I think my condition is it's um, it goes by SIPO, chronic intestinal pseudoobstruction. So I have met a few people, but you can be on P TPN for any reason. So I found my community by people who are on the similar therapy to me than actual diagnosis to me. Right. So it wasn't like what you had; it was what you had in common. But educate me and our listeners when, when you're on this this protocol. You don't eat any food except what's in your IV bag or you eat anyway, but nothing matters. I would eat anything and it doesn't matter. So some might see that as a as a benefit, but in your case, the dark humor is it wasn't quite a benefit. No, no, it wasn't. It was fun. It was like a fun bar trick. Like, hey, look at the girl who can eat anything and not gain weight. Which is also a fun little way to uh, stick it to people. <laughs> yeah, I could see that being a great parlor trick. You're absolutely right. 
But uh, no, in the long run, being on uh, PN is, it's really hard on your body. It's really hard on your liver. You can, you're at really high risk of getting like blood infections because you need a permanent IV to get, to receive the um, TPN. And bacteria, they want to be in that TPN. That's like a fun little like buffet for them. And all those line infections are very serious. Like you got to go to the hospital right now or you could go into septic shock. So it was cool to be able to eat anything that I wanted, but it came with a lot of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, did you get a lot of you poor thing or or bless your heart kind of stuff growing up? Like, can you please stop treating me like I'm some victim? I got a lot of, oh, I couldn't do that. Or, oh, I, I don't know how you do it. Which always confused me because it's like, I don't know. I just get up every morning. Right. How do you, how do you do, like, you just do it. <laughs> What's the alternative? Right. I've made no conscious choices. I just have to do this. Yeah. What? Give up? Lie in bed? Just, I don't, just waste away? I don't know what the alternative is. Yeah. People don't know what to say. And I guess you can't fault them for that. But yeah, it, I, yeah. I, maybe it's a better thing that they actually seem to want to care than just ignoring you. Or were you like anathema? Did, like, who's that girl? What's she doing there? I don't want to go anywhere near her. Uh, I, I So after college, I became a lot more open about my illness. So people shied away from me less. I was much more secretive in high school and probably the first half of college because, you know, you don't want to bring that. It's like a big backpack of IV fluids. You don't want to bring that to high school. And I just kind of build up the habit of never bringing it out in the public or really talking about my illness. And once I did, it was people understood more but it was still kind of like that disconnect because even if they understood, they didn't understand the the funny little ways that the healthcare system works. That's so ridiculous. You got to laugh. But that would go way over their heads. Yeah, it's the education you never hope to ever have to need or want. But we're going to take a break and be right back with Emily Parks. I have so many more questions for you. Fascinating conversation. Uh, stick with us. We'll be right back. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Emily, so let's talk to the, uh, you know, the issue of the day, which was uh, in the 1990s, it was get over it therapy. And today, mental health is a thing we actually understand is a real thing that matters. Mm-hmm. I would imagine getting put down or browbeaten or, or bullied, you know, in your teenage years at a possibly more difficult rate than the average teenager put you in a very difficult situation. It's adolescence. And you mentioned before the cut that it took you until you were a little older to be able to be public about this. Talk about that realization that you could own this and be confident about this is who you are. I was kind of in a situation where I was forced to almost kind of come out and be be the real me. I studied abroad in Australia when I was in college, and there was something about the TPN in Australia that, like, I don't know, chemically it was supposed to be identical, but as I was living in Australia for like three months, I just wasn't feeling great when I was not actively infusing something. And towards the end, I was just constantly infusing something because I just felt so bad. And so it was either like TPN or saline. And that was what I needed to do to get myself out the door and do and participate in the study abroad program. And so I was just like, you know, well, that's what it is. And so I went out there and people actually were pretty cool about it. I remember there was like, you know, in any kind of class setting, in a smaller class setting, people kind of get into their cliques. And there was a group of kind of um, mean jockey guys and their jockey queen, uh, who is, a, he was a man, but you know, he's the, the, their uh, leader <laughs> came over to me at, once when I was changing out the batteries in my pump and asked me if I was okay and if there was anything he could do to help me. So that was quite surprising because I would have expected the opposite in high school. Well, that was also not America. No, all these people were Americans. But you were in Australia with a bunch of Americans? Yeah, it was uh, through uh, my university. Or maybe the Australian culture changed their mindset. <laughs> maybe. Maybe there's something in the air. Maybe it's maybe it's being on the other side of the world. It's, it's a really that. nice country. I, I know a lot of Australians and tell me, like, it. I mean, if there's any Australians listening and I'm, I'm wrong about this, please just tell me. But I, I, it's such a wonderfully nice culture. So hoping it rubbed off. But in a good sense, you weren't pitied or stigmatized. And was that an, an unexpected welcome mat? Did that give you permission to just go forth outside this closet and be open and honest? Yeah, I guess I was like, well... What was I hiding? What was I worried about the whole time? And, you know, it's kind of time consuming, you know, mapping out, okay, the TPN ends, so now I can leave. Um, it's a lot easier if I can bring it out. And if nobody has a problem here, then maybe nobody has a problem back out at school. So I was just like, so I just started doing it at school. And you mentioned before you had a surgery that took you off this IV nutrition. Tell What, what was that about? Yes, I uh, I got an intestinal transplant in 2020, so I now am off TPN and uh, I eat and drink and absorb it, and it's really creepy and weird because it's like magic to me, 
and I'm not used to it, but I'm loving it. <laughs> I've never heard of an intestinal transplant before. Is, is, I mean, not, of course, that's a real thing, but explain that. Yeah, so there's not a lot that happened per year. Um, my understanding is about 100 are done per year, and they're only offered at five hospitals in the nation. It really is last resort when you have to hit certain criteria, and the criteria match really one's inability to continue on with TPN in their, and remain in a safe space, which was my kind of situation where I, I couldn't be on TPN any longer because I was just getting frequent line infections. So that's how I hit the criteria. Um, Wait, so you weren't sick enough to need it and you had to get too sick to need it? Yes. I. This was my third transplant evaluation in my life. In the first two, I wasn't technically sick enough. That's a load of shit. My God, that's terrible. Well, it's really, it's it's so complicated that... I, I don't I don't really know the reason. <laughs> all right. So let's let's focus on like, you know, I watch all these videos of like babies that learn to hear with implants and like their whole they, they yeah. don't know. What, do you have a similar experience? Like this is what it's like to eat food and not have this thing inside my body. This this line inside my body's gone. Yeah, it was. Well, I remember the weirdest thing is that. After my, so I had an ostomy the whole time as well when I was on TPN. And when you get an intestinal transplant, uh, they give you a new ostomy with the new intestine because they have to take biopsies. And so I remember when they did the uh, ostomy reversal surgery, which was the big one for me. That was my motivator. My intestines rumbled. And I was like, oh, my God. What's happening? What is this monster inside me? I was like, is this what people have been dealing with? Because it's been so, like my old intestine, it didn't move. That's incredible. The IV, I I think it was more of like the IV. I was just like, cool, now I can just take a shower and not, not have to worry about it. But it, I mean, I did and still am learning how to eat like in a healthy way before because I could eat whatever I wanted. I ate really bad and right. now as one I should wanted. if they can do what they want, right? Yeah, yeah. And you know, eating three times a day is hard. And my appetite, it's like way reduced since the since the transplant. So it, it is really hard to motivate yourself to eat because I just don't feel that kind of hunger reflex as strongly as other people, I think. This is such an extraordinary story. Oh my God, an, an intestinal transplant and an ostomy reversal are, are syllables I've never said on the show or any show that I've been <laughs> doing for 20 years now. Just extraordinary. All right, so all right, so you're, quote, free and out of the woods, but, you know, it's never over. And, the you know, what yeah. what came next? We're going to get to how you became like this fierce advocate, you know, because yeah. no one is born knowing how to do that. You have to be dealt a whole lot of crap. Hey, I'm going to be advocate. What what got you to that point? What was next for you? Uh, well, after the transplant, there was this kind of sense of, well, what do I do now? I've spent so much time making sure that I've stayed alive and I I did some light advocacy work and I didn't have much of a niche um, or like an area that I really wanted to target. And 
I just kind of combined, uh, so I work in behavioral health. I combine my work in behavioral health with my personal experience. And that's kind of how I thought about my own experience being sick and growing up. And while learning about PTSD, I, it kind of connected all together like that. So you mentioned before that your friend in, in middle school had diabetes. And while it wasn't the same thing biologically or clinically, you shared a lot of common sentiments and quality of life issues and, and, and concerns yeah. that were, were narratively along the same plane. Knowing how few of you there are, you felt that PTSD was like a really strong common thread that could unite people around your new initiatives as an advocate. Yes. Yes. So it was this experience that I had that I thought, well, I can't be the only person experiencing this and doing, you know, there's, there's the kind of research we can do online. And then there's the research we can do by social media. And so I started just kind of playing around with words and I found the word medical PTSD from searching around on Instagram. So while there's very limited research out there, there is, it comes up a pretty good amount in social media postings from the chronic illness community. So it's there, it's just not being actively looked into. Did you find any other perhaps like young adult support groups in PTSD or mental health prior to starting your organization? I was connected with our Odyssey. They uh, are more of an organization for peers to connect in general and mental health came up every once in a while. So I would say our Odyssey groups here and there, but just kind of stepped right in. Nothing that really like hit you bingo, bam. So you started this group called Pop and Pop. I don't know how to say pop with an exclamation point here on the mm -hmm. show. I'll go pop. How's that? <laughs> yeah. Just like with gusto. Snap, crackle, pop. Pop. Done. <laughs> so talk about that. What was it like to, to conceive it? What's it been like for you to see it flourish? And you have a sense of ownership over what life has befell you that you now have to make the most of and live a great life with. So I, I got started after my transplant. I just kind of went off with it and it's been very much a work in progress, learning as I go, reassessing, um, changing things, connecting with a lot of other people who run organizations and seeing what works for them, uh, learning different platforms you can use like uh, Buffer for posts. I mean, are there common life hacks? I mean, I'm just keep I'm getting echoes of when I was running stupid cancer that it didn't really matter where the biology existed in your body, like geographically. Yeah. The common threads were there. How do I how do I date again? You know, what's it like to disclose this in a job description? How do I deal with insurance fuckery? You know, infertility yeah. and you know, all these things are like supposed to be I mean, they're hard enough when you're well, <laughs> let alone when you're dealing with this in your twenties, right? Oh, yes. And so mental health is one of those things. And I really kind of wanted to focus in on just mental health because a lot of the organizations that mentioned mental health did a lot of other services. And it seems like it was a general talk about mental health. But because I work in behavioral health, I wanted to give something that was a little bit more substance and a little 
go into like the academics and the research to understand what PTSD really is and how do you kind of get yourself out of these episodes and back into the present and what can be done to heal folks that have medical PTSD that's so bad that they will not see a doctor anymore. They will not go to the ER. I'm going to read this verbatim off the page here that POP is a growing community of patients living with rare and or chronic illnesses who identify as living with medical PTSD. Yeah, that's very important, highly unmet need. It says you host biweekly discussions. What are those like? Who comes to those? So we had biweekly discussions. It was about five people that would regularly show up. And a lot of them were people around my age and folks that were very kind of isolated and stuck in their medical PTSD. We are actually restarting groups with a partner organization. And we're going to start hosting like as many as 10 people. It'll be regularly every weekend. So I'm excited to see how those will go with kind of a little bit more structure and a little bit more, a little bit more structure, <laughs> All right, a little uh, bit more wood on the structure, you know, just some wood and nails for extra. Right, right, right. <laughs> All right. So wrapping up here. So what's it like to be an advocate in terms of now you're taking control of your situation and you're being there for other people in the sense of maybe people you didn't have that you needed? You know, it's really nice. Uh, a lot of my medical PTSD formed uh, when I was a pediatric patient. And I think a lot of, although a lot of what happened to me was unavoidable, there was a lot of um, kind of things that could have been done to offset the damage that wasn't done. And so I feel really good when I talk to providers, especially providers of pediatric patients so that they can just because because what's so cool about making change on medical PTSD is of course you can do the therapy and you can um, you know even if you want to go into psychedelics there's research out there about psychedelics and PTSD but a lot of what providers can do is just in the moment slowing down and then that's like a quick fix. And so it's it's exciting to see that realization in their faces. And then also with the patients, it's so nice to hear when people are like, finally, I have something to call it. Or finally, I know that I'm not the only one experiencing it. I'll also add before we run, uh, MedStar Georgetown Hospital's Patient and Family Advisory Council for Quality and Safety. Lots of syllables, but I can tell you that's really impressive. A vocational specialist with the disabled community while studying healthcare payer systems. And, oh my God, you're a nerd. My favorite nerd. Okay. And finally, <laughs> you are the Massachusetts Pilot Director for the Health Advocacy Summit. So kudos there. Thank you. I'm <laughs> so happy for you. It, it's so validating and rewarding to see people who... We're, we're trying to get knocked down by life, picked it up, are running with it, living their best life and helping people along the way. Congratulations on all of this stuff. Thank you for coming on the show. Emily Parks, the founder of, you say it. Pop! Oh, my God. I hope that didn't overlevel the volume. Pop, Emily Parks, thank you. So, oh, wait. Emily Parks, the website, 
popmedicalptsd.org. That's popmedicalptsd.org. Thank you, Emily. Thank you. Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is an Offscript Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. It's mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us. And we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit offscript.com. That's offscript, no T, dot com. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.